0: 15, 1 and 2. Watch this. I'm going to read two verses. The two verses are actually the foundation for the whole chapter. I mean, it's crazy. They're the the thesis statement. They're the very basis of the whole chapter. The rest of the chapter would not have taken place if it weren't for these two verses here in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says in Luke 15, 1 and 2, these words. Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him, him talking about Jesus. Okay? This is the first group. Tax gatherers and sinners were coming to Jesus not for food, not for anything, not, not, not even for healing. They were sinners and tax gatherers were coming to Jesus to hear him. Verse 1, one group, right? Watch verse 2. And both the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You have a group coming to Jesus that are labeled. You have a group that have a problem with those people who came to Jesus, and they are labeled as well. You have tax gatherers and sinners, and then you have Pharisees and scribes. The tax gatherers and sinners are coming to Jesus because they want to hear what he has to say. The scribes and the Pharisees see this, and they don't have a problem with those people at this point. They have a problem with Jesus because he's dealing with people who they don't have no business, they don't fool with. Are you seeing this? Let me help you understand what tax gatherers are. Okay, Back in that time in the Jewish setting, a, a tax collector was somebody who worked for the government, who was a Jew. They called, them, they called them publicans, right? If you were a Jew and you were in the Jewish community and you got a government job, you were considered a publican. Now, the problem they had with them is the Roman government would say, your taxes are $100, but some corrupt tax Gatherers or tax collectors or publicans, what they would do is they would go to you, Chris, and they'd say you owe the government 175. They would collect 175, give the government a hundred, and pocket 75. So what started happening among the Jewish people is they knew that if you were they, they 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 were suspicious of anybody who collected taxes because there were so many people who were tax collectors or publicans that were hustling the people that they just put them in a category. They said publicans and sinners. They just concluded that if you worked as a government official and you were a Jew that you were a sellout and that you were a hustler and that you were a swindler and that you were a cheater and that you were a sinner so they put publicans and sinners together you see how they got that so of course if you were a Pharisee you're one of the leaders in the Jewish community right if, the, if, if that was a black Cuban community you'd be the Al Sharpton Right. You're one of the Al Shoptons of the, you're one of the Al Shoptons of the Jewish community. You're one of the leaders in the Jewish community. Well, the problem was that they, uh, they had a problem with those people because they represented the law of Moses. They were the leaders in the community that told people what to do and that had the law and that walked upright and righteously. And if you did something wrong, they could point it out using the Bible. So they didn't fool with tax collectors, they didn't fool with sinners, they didn't fool with them because they felt like they were above them, number one, and they felt like your sinfulness would get on me. They were sterile, they were arrogant, and they were often conceited. And so they wouldn't fool with you if they saw you do something that was a little off the law, and they would label you, they would smack a label on you and just call you a sinner. That sounds like today. That sounds like today. They were not spiritual, but they were religious. Jesus walks on the scene, and he's, watch this, he got more power than the Pharisees and the scribes because he's just not walking on the scene, he's walking on water. He's just not hanging around sick folk, he's healing sick folk. I mean, he's turning water into wine. He has all of this power. Everybody's starting to gravitate toward him. Yet these leaders, they try to recruit him at first. And when you don't get on the side of the people with power and you got power, then they turn it around and they demonize you. Oh, that's a principle for your life. Be careful about being an independent thinker because independent thinkers have power and they want to recruit you to a side and when you choose not to be on anybody's side but to stay on the Lord's side, people will make a demon out of you. So Jesus comes on the scene and these people are coming around Jesus and they want to hear what he has to say. And there are other folk that don't like it. They're grumbling against Jesus. And they say, this man... He's hanging around with sinners, and he eats with them. This is the basis of the whole parable. We get to verse number 11, and that's the parable of what some people call the prodigal son. And he gives this parable about a man who had two sons. Everybody go there. You got to go there in real life. We're almost done in real life because I don't want you to forget this. But first he talks about a man that loses a sheep. He loses one sheep, he has 100. He leaves 99 of them to go after the one sheep. He talks about a woman that has 10 coins. She loses one coin and she pursues that one coin. And Jesus is building this thing. What he's showing these religious people is that no matter what you think about them, they're important. They're important. And if you come to church to be arrogant and to be conceited, And to be uppity and to be sadistic, you're in the wrong place. There are some churches you can be like that, but Jesus wasn't about being part of an organization or being part of a group where you can walk around like you're better than somebody else. The reality is everybody's coming from a different avenue. And the closer we get to Jesus is the more we have in common. But everybody doesn't start there. Let me give you an example. How many of you had to take 45 to get here? Anybody have to take 40? Raise your hand if you took 45, Highway 45 to get here. Okay. You're all scattered all up. How many of you had took t- 35 straight to get here? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you took 635? You had to get on 635 to get here? Any 635 people? Anybody take 75? Oh, way over there. Somebody came way north. Anybody have to take 20? Come that far. You had to get on 20. All right? right. How how many of you had to get on 30? You know what's happening? What's happening is, watch this. How many of you had to get on Highland Avenue or Highland Street, which is right here? Raise your hand if you had to get on Highland. What happened is, the closer you got to this church building is the more all of you had in common. And the way it works is like this. The closer people get to Jesus is the more they have in common. But they don't start out with everything in common. They start out on 45. They start out on 35. They start out on 75. They start out on 635. And 635 may be I drink and I smoke and I get high. 45 may be I'm arrogant, I'm and I'm hyper-religious. 35 may be, well, I've got problems on my job. I don't do right with my money. I've got marital problems. But the closer we get to Jesus is the more we have in common. So it doesn't matter if you're coming from 45, if you're coming from 35, if you're coming from 635. Guess what all of us need? All of us need grace when we get in Christ. Okay, that's it. That's it. I got to stop. Because this will just be a sermon and a panel will just be people sitting on a stage listening to the sermon. But when you get a chance, read the parable, verse number 11. He tells a parable about a man that had two sons. One, The youngest son says, Daddy, I want what I'm supposed to get when you die. Verse number 11, it starts. It's crazy. It's, it's a crazy story, right? And the, the, the daddy doesn't argue with him. He gives him his money, and he gives the older son his money, which means both of them got what they don't deserve. Don't miss that. He didn't just give the younger son his money. He gave the younger son his money, and he gave the older son his money. The older son just stayed home. The younger son got his money, and he was like deuces. I'm out, pop. Gathered all his stuff, Went to a whole nother country. Started spending this money because how you live will affect your living. How you live will always affect. You want to know what affects your money first? How you live in. Well, I want to be a better, I want to be a better steward. I want I want to do money. I'm going to take classes on how to budget money. Well, first you need classes on how you live in. Because your habits and your hobbies and what you like and what you like to do and the things you get into will affect your pocket. What, you don't believe me? Your eating habits will mess with your money. You'll go grocery shopping, spend $150 on groceries, and still go to McDonald's for dinner. Oh, y'all not hearing me in here. Any real people in here? Well, he started living crazy, and his crazy living affected his living. A famine arose. It's crazy. Ran out of, there was no food anywhere. And God will put you in a position where you can't even get help from somebody else when God wants you to pay attention. He'll say, I, 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 look here, look here. Well, I'm going to go borrow. He ain't got nothing. Look here. Well, I'm going to go over here and ask. They don't have anything. Look here. And he had to join himself to us. Se- so this is the first text in the New Testament that talks about immigration. If you read it, he had to get with a citizen of that country because he was an immigrant. So he couldn't go and get a regular job because it wasn't his country. He went to a faraway country. He was rich where he came from. But now he's poor where he is. What happens when where you came from, you were better off than where you are? Well, the Bible says he went out, that man sent them to feed pigs which is a no-no for Jewish people. And he woke up in the pig pen. He he woke up in the pig pen. I'm going to tell you what church folk like to say sometimes. Oh, you just trying to do better because you got caught. You ever hear anybody say, you just sorry because you got caught? Do you not know that getting caught is one of the ways that God brings us back? Let's stop playing that game. you just sorry because you got caught. Well, no, 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 no. I got caught so that I can be broken and be sorrowful before God. It's the other way around, Jack. And we like to say, oh, the... so we try to challenge people's sincerity. But this boy was not broken until he was broken. Meanwhile, big brother was at the house. Yes, meanwhile. Meanwhile, baby girl. She said, meanwhile, in her Smurf-like voice. I love that baby. Come here, baby. Come on, come here. You're going to help me preach the rest of this sermon. (laughs) Meanwhile, brother was at home. Meanwhile. Oh, you don't want to say meanwhile now. Brother didn't see any of this. Didn't see any of this. And the problem with... The grace problem is we think we know people, but we ain't seen their we haven't seen their journey. You haven't he didn't see his journey. Big younger brother comes home, daddy sees him coming, runs to him, and says, We're gonna have a party. They're jamming. They killed the what's called the fatted calf. What the fatted calf is, out of all their livestock, they put aside one of those cows, a baby cow. And they put it on a different diet. And they feed it. And they feed it. And they feed it. And they feed it for one purpose. Just to die. They use it to celebrate somebody coming back home. So when the boy came home, the fatted calf's time was up. And you know what the big brother says? What's going on? He confronts his dad And he says, you celebrate my brother who was all uh, your son? He doesn't even call him his brother. He says, that son of yours who was all wilding out with prostitutes and stuff? You know what he did? He labeled him. Because when people don't know where you've been, they just put a label on you. And when people don't know how to share grace and be gracious, they put a label on you. He, He wasn't there, but he projected on his brother, what he would do if he was wilded out. Prostitutes didn't even come up until that older brother who was not there said it. And the daddy told him, you've had it. You've had grace here. You, you never left. Everything was in your power right here. You want the celebration too? No. No. And the point was that the people in verse number one who were publicans and tax collectors and sinners needed grace. And the people in verse number two who were sadity, uppity religious folk needed grace. Both sides needed grace. You've been in the church for 30 years. You need just as much grace as the thug who just came off the street. You don't cuss, I don't cuss. You need just as much grace as the person who cusses like Samuel Jackson. I get a lot of flack because, I, yes, I am trying to change the culture of the church so that we won't be a museum, but a movement. Too many churches are museums and everybody's showing artifacts once a week. And it's once a week because we don't get to see everything about who you are once a week. Are you kidding me? I know some of us, I know we cuss. I said, how are you? All right. I'm blessed and highly favored. Until somebody cross you on Monday morning. And you're giving out middle fingers like it's Christmas. And there's somebody while I'm talking saying... Why is he saying that? Or oh, everybody's not. or oh, whatever you do. You see that? You see how easy it is for self-righteousness to slide in? Self-righteous people don't appreciate grace because they feel like they earned it. And unrighteous people float away from it. Now, these praise leaders are wondering how long I'm going to hold this baby. And it's time for the panel. Y'all ready? Take this baby back. She heavy all of a sudden. <laughs> meanwhile, yeah, in the meanwhile, you heavy. <laughs> all right. We're going to continue this panel. Where, am I? Where's, where's my, where are my things? Okay, right here. Uh, let's, let's applaud the panelists. They, they changed slightly. There was a slight change of the panelists and we're gonna go for about 40 minutes, which will land us at 12.30 and we'll end. Um, uh, We have some from last week that came, and we're talking about grace from both sides. There are a couple of new ones. If you would briefly introduce yourself, we have Sister Clayton now on the panel, as well as Tim Jones, as well as another Jones, Miles Jones on the panel, young man.
1: My name is Lisa Clayton. Uh, Not quite sure why I was asked to be on this panel this morning, but no. No, I'm just so grateful to be on the panel, and uh, I've been a recipient of grace, and I've also uh, had to extend it, and so I'm excited about being able to share what God's put on my heart.
2: Amen. My name is Timothy Wayne Jones, and I've been on the sides of this fence.
3: My name is I'm grateful to share my voice.
0: Amen. Amen. Last week they were long, but now it's just succinct. Praise God. <laughs> uh, we're going to continue. Uh, and I told y'all I was going to add some lemon pepper and some spice on some of these questions. Uh, because everybody 's situation was not as extreme as yours, and if you 're joining us for the first time, we had people who uh, on the panel that were very transparent about the life they used to live and the things they used to do. But what about simple things because the principles whether you killed somebody in your past or whether you uh, you hurt somebody 's feelings uh, uh, no matter what the intensity of the offense is, there's still this need for grace. And so I'm going to kind of go a little rogue here. But how do you handle it when you desperately want forgiveness and grace from someone and they refuse to give, give it? Because I'm sure there are people sitting in this audience who have went to people wanting forgiveness and they refuse to give it or they give it, but, you, but it was just in lip service. So what are some ways to handle the refusal of grace from people uh, um, when, when, you feel, when you feel inclined to really have it? And this could be anybody.
2: Well, for me, um... In the first place, I didn't feel like I deserved it because I felt like what I was going through, I reaped what I sold. But when I came to reality and accepted God's forgiveness, then I wanted to be forgiven by those who I had manipulated, dogged out, and took advantage of. And when I went to them and they wouldn't give it to me, I had to step back and look at myself and not at them. Mm.
0: Elaborate on that.
2: Because I had to realize, I'm the one who was the offender, they were the one who was the victim. But I want to go, I want them to forgive me, but in our reality, I hadn't forgiven myself. Very good, very good.
0: Anybody else on that question, which is not on the paper? (laughs) Okay. They move on. They might say, they're looking at me, you better stick to that script, preacher, or we're going to have some problems. We're going to have some problems. <laughs> well, what are, what are some of the dangers and outcomes of refusing to show grace to others or refusing to receive grace from God? What are some of the outcomes? Because the truth of the matter is, when, when you're struggling with what you've done, one of the ways we punish ourselves sometimes is by projecting on others what we feel about ourselves. And some of us have the, can get the attitude of, I, won't for, I wouldn't even forgive me for that one. Has anybody ever said, I wouldn't even forgive me for that one for anything you've ever done? Some of you won't say, Amen, that's good. Like, We're not the panelists. You're right, you're right.
1: I'll go. Um the question was about what are the dangers of refusing to show the grace or to receive the grace. And that word refusing to me is an outright uh, sign of rebellion. And I think the dangers of rebelling is that we have a God to answer to also. But uh, I believe that the body, the soul, and the spirit is so interconnected that you're gonna, it can result in health challenges, you have your spiritual health, your physical health, your emotional health, your psychological health, those are all dangers that you uh, uh, might find yourself in if you just flat out refuse to extend grace to someone or if someone asks you to, you know, to forgive them, to accept it. So the rebellion aspect, I think it really needs to be put in check because it affects all aspects of your life and your body and everything.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Interesting.
2: I, I, I think another thing you need to look at is that if you refuse to embrace. And you even pointed it out. It suggests that I'm better than you. Hmm. It, it suggests I'm not going to forgive you. I, I'm better than you. I don't have to forgive you. And what it does, it hardens you inside. Hmm. You you become. Uh, I think there's a passion in the Bible that talks about heart of stone. <laughs> when I get at the point of a heart of stone, I'm already in rebellion. Mm. Wow. When I wow. get to that point, I'm already in rebellion because I don't even respect God. Wow, powerful,
0: powerful stuff. Go
4: I think for me, um, not in grace, and I'll give some examples of personal um, tribulations and trials that I had to experience. And one was when my son uh, became extremely rebellious uh, right after high school. And he got into drugs and he even got shot and he was just really disrespectful. And then another situation was is with my daughter. Uh, she matriculated to college and she was in her junior year and she became a Muslim. And through that process, what God had to do for me is to let me know that I wasn't the judge and jury of my children. That even though he had given given me the authority to train up a child in the way that they should go, it didn't mean if they departed, That I too need to depart from them. Mm. And I did that. Wow. I did that emotionally. Mm. I had broken relationships with those, with my children for several years. But what God was showing me was not their mistakes, but my weakness as a Christian and that it wasn't up to me to try to control their pathway in life and that for me to disconnect with them because of the choices that they made was my error because I wasn't showing unconditional love to them. And he had to humble me in such a way that I had to really uh, analyze myself and really see that I was not being the child of God. Here I was thinking they were the ones that were disobedient when it was me. And so consequently, I had to go to my children, and I had to mend the relationship, and I had to ask them for grace. Because in the midst of whatever they were experiencing, I abandoned them just as much as they abandoned me. And so consequently, I had, to, I had to recognize, especially with my daughter. My daughter is still a Muslim today. She has been a Muslim for over 20 years. And I had to learn that God's love extends beyond her circumstance, that right. God doesn't dislike us as individuals, it's our behavior that God is judging, not the person. Right. So consequently, I had to learn to make the distinction that God allowed me to rear this young lady into maturity and to transition. but because she made choices that weren't mine, that I didn't like, how dare I think that she was in a less of a person or that she wasn't up to my standard of what I thought she should be? And I think that's what I have really learned and I work now with students from that perspective because I I advocate now, quit trying to get children to live up to your expectation but their potential and the rest god will judge wow, wow. wow.
0: my god that's a mouthful yes uh mouse
3: um i kind of want to piggyback off of what she said um some people the most dangerous people are people who are killing people and people who uh want to murder and stuff like that. But I also believe that some of the most dangerous people in the world are people seeking acceptance because they're not only seeking acceptance from the, from themselves, they're seeking acceptance from whoever they can get it from. And you can't... Oh. And you can't you can't veer, first, first, what you have to do is you have to establish your relationship with God as quickly as possible because you start veering off to uh, other things which could lead to bad habits and stuff like that. So you have to reestablish yourself with God and say, okay, let me make sure I'm still intact with the one who's in control instead of me trying to control myself because I'm just... Because I'm I'm we're simply a variable. God is the one who's in control of us. We can't, you know. Get, he's in control basically. And basically like she said, God God will work it out.
5: you almost got me shaking over here from what you just said. Uh, bits and pieces and also from what I spoke on last week just as well a little bit. Um, when you're not able to accept God's grace, uh, speaking on what Brother Tim said, you know, you, you know, first of all, you feel like you deserve what you're going through. The biggest mistake in that right there, or the most critical part of that is when you feel like you deserve it, and again, you just still can't accept God's grace to move past it. You start to spiral out of. And it gets worse and worse. You start to take on all the identities of the things that you really feel like are against you. You put on these disguises and you become deceit. You become all these different things that you feel like, uh, that have torn you down. You become these things and you are these things to other people. Yeah. Wow. And so you really, you really become a destroyer because I felt like for me and I was, uh, it was interesting, you know, as to, uh, brother Andreas, who's not here to, here to here today, but, uh, He said he was Saul, you know, and I was at one point when I was locked up, I wrote a lot of different things and I felt like, and it was appropriate for me to say from Saul to Paul because my name is Paul. And so that was the life that I really felt like I had taken on. I felt like a tyrant. I felt like that I wasn't even worthy, you know, but I could just honestly thank God that once he gave me an understanding of his words, you know, because the Bible speaks on, it says, and all you're getting get understanding, which is a lot of the biggest problem. We have the wrong understanding about things. And so when we do that, we start to judge. We start to be like the Pharisees. We start to be like the scribes because we can't understand what God's grace is doing for those that are over here, the sinners and everybody that is going through what they're going through. And so we start to judge even that. So, you know, for for me, I just see it as it it only gets worse. And it takes you to have to be broken where you can start accepting God's grace. And it took that for me. I had to be broken all the way down to my lowest where I felt like I wanted to kill myself. I had to let go of that and let God go ahead and give me that life back. Yes. 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 So you have to be broken, and so until you are broken, whatever those things that you feel like are bringing you down or you are going through, until you are broken and you're able to let it go, it's going to always have a hold on you. So you have to really let go and let God.
0: Amen. Is anybody being helped in here? Say amen if you're being helped.
6: All right. Um, as far as uh, I'm going to feed off what Miles was saying, after everything that you after everything that's been said, after everything that's been done, as far as like when, when you've been offended by somebody, or or if I offended you in any kind of way, I think your mindset, as a Christian, as a Christian person, your mindset has to be it has to be different, and the only way that that mindset can be set right. Is, is, is like Miles said, you have to know who's in control, first of all. Who is in control of your life? Is it you or is it God? Is it, is it, do, you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And when you I think when you have a relationship with Christ, does it really matter that person accepted your apology or not? Does it really matter? After knowing Jesus and the way he is and, and, and just knowing that he's inside you. and Does it matter if they accept you or not? Does it matter if you really genuinely say, look, man, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for what I did. And they don't accept it. Does it matter? Who is who this? Who, when you say you're sorry... Is this for you or is it for them? Mm-hmm. Who is this for? I think, I think this is a real good question that you need to ask yourself before you start going out there trying to say, Well, I need to apologize to this person. I need to ask for, you know. Just remember that whatever you're asking for, has already been given to you.
0: That's good.
6: Jesus has already given it to you. You're not asking for nothing that hasn't already been provided by that blood that was shed on that cross. That's right. That's right. That's simple. That's right. So I guess after everything that I've been through and I know I'm the offender. I I'm 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 already extending what I feel is grace to you and I'm and 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 I'm saying look I need it back from you. So would you you accept my apology? And and if you don't want to give me what's called man's grace, then that's okay. Because man's grace ain't got no power. God's (laughs) grace got the power. (laughs) All right. And as far as being offended, why are you so offended? After you know who loves you, after you know whose child you are, do you really need to hang on to that?
0: Yes. Do you really? Let me say this. This is good. This is good. So, we're talking to a diverse audience. So, while there's a group here who listens with the context and related to your context, needing, trying to get grace extended from somebody, there's another group here, and that's the beauty of a panel. You don't get, you could. You have the benefit of anonymity, you know. There's another group here that is on the other side of the fence who uh, maybe were the offended ones. And so when someone who's listening from an offended context hears somebody say, I don't need your, you know, I don't need your forgiveness. I've got God's. Sometimes listening from the offended context could either make you bitter with the person or can even make people like the older brother in the parable bitter with the father because he did this and I've been here. I didn't go spend my money on prostitutes. I didn't do this. I didn't do that because every church has a group that did it and has a group that didn't quite do it. So on the other side of the fence, hearing that, uh, can you address how the person who, who is the offended one should hear and should think about uh, extending grace, even if it's not even asked for?
2: One, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Second Corinthians chapter one. Starting at verse three, he says, blessed be God, the God, the father of all comfort and the God of all mercies who comforts us whenever we're in any kind of trouble so that we can comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we are comforted of God. All right. Mm -hmm. God didn't take me through something for me. He took me through something for somebody else. Beautiful. And if I'm out and if I'm if I'm at the point in my life where I, and I've been through something and I don't and I realize that it's for somebody else, then I've already missed grace. I've already missed not only grace but the opportunity to extend it.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. Good point. Good point.
4: I was going to say that... Leave your mics on, too. The other side of the fence, I had two children um, that, as I just expounded upon, had those two circumstances. But I had two other children, my oldest son and my youngest son, who really got to the point where they felt offended by the fact that I was giving so much attention to the wayward children. (laughs) when they were the ones that were being honorable at home and following the straight pathway, but it seems like I was giving grace to them, but not, were giving grace to the other two, but not to them. And so consequently, our whole family had to really, you know, really come together and kind of navigate that landscape of understanding, you know, the offender as well as the one who was offended. So consequently, I think I think what it really helped my family to do, uh, which I think is the strength of me and my children and our relationship today, is to. Don't look at your personal situation as the standard bearer for what life should be judged upon. And not to think ever that you are better than anybody because the moment that you do, God will bring a situation to you that will truly humble you. So I think through that whole process, my whole family, we really learned what humility was, and then how to really pray for people when they experience situations because we went through some really rough times. And, but through it all, you know, God helped us to heal, to forgive, and then to really show that unconditional love that you should have, not only in your family, but how to extend
0: it to others. Amen. Amen. Is this helping anybody? Does anybody hear anything that... uh... The Bible says grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the idea of growing in grace is growing as a recipient of grace. And when you grow in grace, grace has a tendency to grow in you. Uh, But people that have not experienced grace, either by way of missing it or by way of not of not, or of refusing it, it's hard for the, you to extend something you have not grown in. And that being said, uh, this is not on the paper because I want to go deeper. I believe that the reason why some churches don't do deep ministry is because they're not mature enough to handle it. And it takes a certain level of maturity to be to be a place of grace. It takes growth, but not numerical growth but it takes growth to be a place of grace and part of that growth to be a graceful person by necessity, part of that growth includes being hurt. There are some things you cannot learn unless you're hurt. There are some things you cannot acquire unless you know what it feels like to be offended. Um, What can the church do What things can the church do to go deeper and to grow deeper in becoming a place of grace? And I know, give them time. That wasn't on the paper, y'all. I'm sorry.
6: Can you repeat the question again?
0: What things can, how can the church position itself? What things can the church do? And I'm talking universally, but in particular to this church and any church to go deeper in and, and becoming a place of grace. There are some people that will not step foot in a church because they don't feel one worthy. So apparently there's an image that a church is for worthy people. There are people that will step foot in it, but will always worship from the fringes because they feel like the people that are involved are somehow worthy. What can be done in churches that will make us look more like the hillside where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount as opposed to the sanctuary, the modern sanctuary, where people are, are among the haves and have-nots?
5: I think, um, I think it falls in line of the fellowship which um, pretty much like what we're doing right now, to be able to show transparency. You know, once we're able to to show that I'm not above you, that I'm yet the same, I think that it would make people feel a whole lot more comfortable. You know, because they're watching us already. These people that feel, you know, the shortcomings of being able to step forward and feel like okay, uh, I I can't go in there, I'm I'm not ready for that church yet. I'm not, you know, they feel like they have to have a certain level of, you know, to be a part of the church, uh, to be able to walk like I might walk, you know, as they might see, you know, but uh, I think the fellowship is the biggest thing, you know, for us to be able to, um, for for, for them to be able to um, find the reality, you know, for them, you know, that, hey, you know, we are the same, you know, and you, you, you've been through these things. You, you've experienced this. You, I wouldn't have never thought, you know, people have to be able to see and look at you and say, I wouldn't have never thought that you went through that. I wouldn't have never thought that you overcome something like that, you know. And so at that particular point, I believe people start to reach out more to even, uh, to, to you, to, to, to have, they'll, they'll start having questions. And when you start having questions, you want the answers. And we all know that Jesus is the answer, so we're gonna, people are going to start to come, you know, just that much more. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm basing this pretty much on the fact that when I was doing my time, um, a lot of guys knew me f- from the street and different things and whatnot. And, and now they see me over here, and it's just like, man, you really, you know, you really separated yourself from everything. How, you know, how did you do that? And so that, that's that part to where they've opened up. Now I can get in and I can, I can share with them, you know, so it has to be a point to where we're able to, to really, you know, once we're able to let God's light shine, you know, once they're able to see God working within us, once they know that we've lived this way or whatever, once they're able to relate, you know, you can share things with them. I think it comes down to a whole just, just, just just—it's just transparency, you know, for them to not to feel isolated or, or or separated. I think for me, that's that's what I think it is.
7: Just to piggyback. Just a But um, was say stated. I think the big thing is building relationships and having that transparency in order to bring us closer, you know, together. I mean, one thing, a church this size, I think maybe somehow forming small groups and just being able to, like, each one, reach one, you know, teach one. Because Sister Dora's story, I mean, who would have ever known she had problems with her children, as do myself. And so, I mean, just having that experience I can relate to and say, hey, how did you get through this and, you know, Tell me, you know, what's the best course of action that I can take as well. And so I just think building relationships and being very, very transparent and being very real, you know, with one another help foster.
4: And I think also another thing is, is that I, far too often I think we judge a book by looking at its cover and we never bother to the time to read the pages. And what that means again is to ditto relationships because I think we do, we look at, we look at individuals. I remember when I, uh, when I went through my divorce and I was at another congregation. When I went through that divorce, I then felt like I was diseased because I started being ostracized and I was then judged that, oh, the reason you probably got divorced is because of unrighteousness. But they didn't bother to really, they never, thought back and saw how after Sunday, after Sunday, after Sunday, how I was sending, asking for prayer. And nobody came to me. Nobody. But then when I was divorced, they came not to be, not to try to, with compassion, they came because they wanted to know why. And I think we have to be careful about those situations, you know, because... We do. We see each other and we make assessments and judgment of about a person's character and you know nothing about them. And I think we all do each other injustices when we do that. If you if you look at somebody, don't have an issue with that person just because the way they look. I mean because that's not how we attract and can support individuals when they step in these doors. And and there's a process for healing.
0: Amen. Good sermon. I think um, I think one of the
2: everybody here likes great customer service, right? (laughs) When when you go to a restaurant or into a a mall or something, you have expectations of the person that's serving you, right? That's what we want to be. Put give be what you want. I guarantee you, you attract people. Be knocking those doors down. If you'll be what you want. Yes. Amen. Uh,
6: just look, uh <clears throat> I think I think what the church needs is a lot of more honesty. We need more honesty in the sense of how do I me as the next drug addict how do you go? I mean, when people say be, more, you know, you need to be honest and more open, and because I know there's there was sometimes <clears throat> some points in my life where I relapsed, I relapsed and I messed up bad, <clears throat> and I wanted to be honest. But how do you, how do you go up to to someone, somebody in the congregation, or how do you go up to your pastor and say, man, I, I, can I talk to you real quick? Man, I messed up and I, I relapsed, you know, and. And I think part of the reason we don't do that is because we, not only do we ex- have an expectation of who's serving us, but we also have an expectation of us and, and, and like we, we want to carry ourselves like what we see, you know, <clears throat> and, and we don't want to be that one person that's like, oh, you know, uh, these past few Sundays I've been coming, oh, praise the Lord and this and that, and then all of a sudden I come in and I'm like, hey, man, I messed up this some dope. How do you, I, I, you know? That's that's a question that's boggled my mind forever, and it's it's something that you have to deal with as an as an addict. I don't know if anybody here knows what I'm talking about as far as being you know doing drugs. It's like it's so shameful. Right. It brings a lot of shame, and I think if we're more honest and open with one another, that Maybe you might get one of those little taps on the shoulder. That says, "Hey, can I talk to you for a minute?"
0: Let me say something on that. Um, when you deal with the masses, and this is this is all good. I agree with everything everybody's saying. I just want to shed some light. When you deal with the masses, the challenge with dealing with a massive group of people is that every everybody's coming with a different ideology. Mm -hmm. They're coming from a different place. So, you have a person who whose sister was killed by a drug addict Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sitting somewhere in here. And I'm just saying hypothetically, who watches a panel with somebody who used to be a drug addict. Mm -hmm. So, at the end of the day there's still a human element that says you represent what hurt me so even with transparency i want to revert to something sister roger said we have to almost be careful that we boundary put a boundary on our transparency To where you're among people that can handle your transparency. Because the truth is everybody's at a different place in their growth, spiritual growth. And some people, I mean, if um, everybody can't hear about your struggle. And if you're a leader here or a preacher, if I told you all about some of the struggles I've had over the years, you guys would be across town. You'd be a, you'd be a, a Mormon, I don't know. Mormon. And somebody said, oh, oh." see, and, and it's that thing
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: that makes preachers intangible. Right. It isn't that preachers and leaders act intangible. It's that you forget yes, sir. that when you get cut and I get cut, the same stuff come out, right? <laughs> so, but that being said, I don't blab about all of my struggle, but I do have a small group, right? And I think the idea of small groups is a really good idea. Yep. And the Lord will lead you to whoever can handle. He there will. You if you trust him, he will lead you. And you, you, as a matter of fact, you'll hear it. You'll hear it, but it's dangerous in a setting with such diverse levels of maturity
6: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: to be transparent to everybody about everything. They just, and it's not that they're arrogant. It's not even that they're on the Pharisee side, right? There are two reasons why you can distrust somebody. One, because they're pure evil. Two, because they're immature. Don't demonize it. You wouldn't ask a person who has a habit of driving drunk to take your, run, go to the store for me. You wouldn't give them your car keys. Right? Right. Because you don't, what? But you wouldn't ask a five-year-old kid to do it either. Why? Immature. And you would not Trust them. I know they say, I wouldn't trust a five-year-old. No, you wouldn't trust a five-year-old. Some of you wouldn't even trust your (laughs) 15-year-old. You get it? So distrust is not always about demonization and vilifying somebody, but you have to find the pockets of people that God leads you to. This is why this is such a big deal, church. What's happening before your eyes and the the divorce one? That's a big deal. That's unprecedented in our fellowship because people are comfortable in costumes. But you can only be in a costume so long before you get uncomfortable. And eventually, if this church is going to be more than a a one-day-a-week establishment, Costumes got to come off yes, yep. because I can put a costume on for two hours on Sunday, but if we start operating every day, you're going to have to see me for me, That's right now. accept That's right. me That's right. for me, right. and if you can't handle it, then I need to go and be among people of the pocket of people, the Peter, James, and John that can. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to end with this. We got, we're, we're just about done, but there's a final thing we need to We we want the panelists to share because somebody out here doesn't, has not, somebody out there is not saved. You're a church attender, but you, you haven't officialized your walk with Christ, which means if he's full of grace and truth and you're refusing to give your life to Christ, you're refusing to be covered by his grace. So why should a person who does not know Jesus choose to obey in faith the gospel by giving their lives to Christ? And what do you have to say? What would you say to them? No matter where they're coming from in life.
1: I believe that um, giving your life to Christ is the most important thing you could ever do. I may, I know it may sound cliche-ish or whatever, but... In a world where there's so many inconsistencies, my personal testimony is the Lord and my relationship with Christ is the only thing that has been consistent. So in the midst of whatever your dilemma or your problem or your situation situation is, I think we all can appreciate consistency. And I can just assure you, I don't care what any human being, how how much they say they love you or how much they, how many promises they make you or whatever, at the end of the day, they're human and they're not God. So God is the only thing that has consistently re- remained the same in the midst of how bad I've been. So I highly recommend Jesus.
4: And I got a dead old way. Well, she just stated, I think for me, and I had to come to this realization when I went through my divorce, is that my last name ended up changing. But what didn't change was the fact that I was still a Christian. And that man didn't give it to me. And I didn't need papers from a court to say that I was still a Christian. So from my perspective, one of the things that I have always stayed consistent with Whatever roller coaster I've been on, is that I am a Christian. Am I a perfect one? Absolutely not. But who is my Savior? Christ is. And in the end, who is going to judge me? I don't care about man's judgment, I care about God's.
6: Excuse me, because I might raise my voice in between this. But why Jesus? Why Jesus in in my, in your life? Forgive me. I'm I'm a little jumpy right now because I'm just trying to stand fig- up. Then I, I'm just trying to figure out why not? Because okay, y'all y'all heard my testimony at first, right? When I introduced myself, I introduced myself. What can I say? I'm not very educated. I used to be a drug addict. I used to be this and that. Now. This, after I met Jesus, after I accepted Christ in my life, now here's 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 what I have to say about me now. Now I I am, my name is Raul, and I'm an ex-drug addict, but now I'm a child of Christ. I have three beautiful, beautiful children that the doctors told my wife that she couldn't even have one. But you know what? Who was in control? Christ was in control. Now... People told me that I would never, I would always be a drug addict. I would never look at me now. I'm in a panel, (laughs) ha ha. You see, but what I'm saying is because of Jesus. That's why I'm here. I have a beautiful wife, beautiful kids. They all said that it wouldn't happen. And they all said that I'd be a drug dealer and a drug addict for the rest of my life. And look, man, don't get me started. Okay. I, I also, there's some little tidbit. I survived cancer twice. I went through chemotherapy for a year. I went through radiation for another year. Once when I was 19, the other one when I was 21, both doctors looked at me and said, you might die. But I knew who was in control. Jesus was in control. There was times I spent five years, five years with my family, drugged up, homeless, homeless. And now, uh, you know, I may not have my own home yet, but I'm working that way. I'm getting there. You know, I'm, I, we started off with the hotel room. We got here with the hotel room, looking at this church. At the hotel room, looking at this church. And then we went from the hotel room. I said, don't worry, honey. God's got our back. We're going to get somewhere to stay. She just thought, "Oh man, there's no way. It's okay. You don't need to know the way. God knows the way. Jesus knows the way. Now we got in this apartment over here. Now we're switching to a three-bedroom apartment where everybody gets a room. Can, do, I need it? do I need to go more? This is what Jesus has done for me. He has changed my life. He's changed my identity He's changed everything, and it wasn't easy. I suffered through it all, but you know what? I suffered for Christ, and it's worth it. That's all I got to say. Been real quiet over here, yeah. Uh Go, go, go.
0: pass this mic before I keep going. (laughs)
1: That's
0: a drop-the-mic moment right there. (laughs) Anybody else? Go ahead.
3: The question is... Why Jesus? Jesus, why choose Jesus? Some people think, why me? The word me is singular. Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is for everybody. I'm not going to drop the mic. Uh, come on, man. You have to be vulnerable in order to, to seek and help others. You can't, you can't like, I, like I told Sister Rogers, you can't have a broken hand and try to go help somebody else. You have to fix what's inside you first in order to, to impute what you have in yourself to somebody else. And you can't do that without. It's a
6: big word, right?
3: you can't lean towards your own understanding basically you you can't have that one-way mindset oh i can do this on my own i can do this on my own when you was born you had to learn how to learn your abcs and you have to learn to do all these other things and you can't just say oh i know how to do this myself and i'm gonna just you know you, you just can't be that selfish. You, you just can't, you have to have, there has to be some advocate for perfection.
6: Mm. Did you say that? We don't need you preaching.
7: Miles preach. And I just want to say one last thing, from a psychological point of view. Um, I deal with depression, every day in my, in my practice. And I deal with um, the Christian and the non-Christian as well. And when you're dealing with depression, it looks a whole lot different when you have Christ because you have hope and I can get through this thing. I can take the necessary steps that I need to and depression won't weigh so heavy on me and I'm able to function and you know, work through it. The ones that don't have Jesus... They struggle. They struggle big time. I mean, those are the ones who are almost suicidal basically because they have no hope. So when you say, why Jesus? Well, why not Jesus?
5: He's our hope. You know, why Jesus? I mean, if we look at all the other things that we've tried, there's so many other things that we've tried. And I would just say, try Jesus. I would just give it to him. And and, 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 because for me, I tried all these other different things in life to to find the acceptance, to try to find the answer to what I need to, 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 to help me, you know, whatever I thought my situation may have been. But it wasn't until I tried Jesus. It wasn't until I allowed Jesus to really take control of my life that I was able to find out that I... That, 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 that Jesus really was in control, that he was able to take care, he was able to fix, he was able to mend, he was able to heal, he was able to move every, everything inside of me that, I, that, that he didn't want to be with inside of me. He was able to make me new and that was what I needed. And I would just tell them, you know, just try Jesus. You've tried everything else and I promise you, you won't be disappointed because I haven't been disappointed yet. Any time that I do it the way that I know that Jesus wants me to do, everything works out right. But whenever I get in the way, I mean, just look at yourself. Just look at any time that you got in your own way. Any time that you feel like you're in control, what has been the result of your situation? And you just tried Jesus. And if you have tried Jesus and you gave up, but look back when you did try him. Look at the result that you had when you tried Jesus. Then look back at what you did again. Come on. And then you will find out this is what this is what I would tell them. This is what matter of fact, this is what I've told them. you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm being all honest. When I was telling you all about that uh, concerning the guys that were locked up and, and, and gentlemen would come to me and they would. the first time somebody came to me and asked me to pray for him. I was like, you know, I had to really just step back for a minute. I couldn't let that opportunity pass for doing what God wanted me to do at that moment. And I went ahead and I prayed. And then I had to turn around and I had to go pray again. You know, and I had to talk to God. What is it that this young man saw in me? Because people are watching. And see, and for that matter, I know since I've tried Jesus and then I know that God is moving within me. See, I know that he sent that person that has seen him within me that knows that I'm trying. And now he's going to go and try him now. You know, so I mean, there's a lot of different little things in there, but uh, I, I would just suggest you just you just try them, and I promise you, you won't be disappointed.
0: Amen. Glory to God. I'm gonna ask our leaders to come and, and, and take their positions up.